Good morning, good afternoon, Father Anthony and Sister Teresa. Thanks. Hi. <laughs> Welcome Hi. to the podcast again. <laughs> yeah, it's good to be on. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we, we're, we're gonna, we'll talk about a bit about why we have Sister Teresa on. But Sister Teresa, how are you doing? What's new in life? I'm doing good. We started public masses this week, so that has been awesome and weird. I kind of feel like I'm in a nightmare at the same time that I'm at mass. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Time out, time out, time out. So what do what do uh, public masses like normally look like for for you, and what do they look like now? So like, do the sisters all have mass? Do other people come in? What's what's how does that work? So in the convent where I am, we normally have mass outside of the convent. So we'll just walk to the local parish hmm. and then and then sometimes we have masses in the chapel so i've been walking to the local parish and everybody's wearing masks and everyone's separated and it's it's the first time was just very weird i was like i simultaneously mm-hmm. feel like i'm dreaming or like in some kind of dystopian novel or but i'm actually at mass so it's very strange yeah yeah that's the way i had to do uh i've had to do a few um uh, funeral service outside the context of mass and it's just you know you, you want you've got family members who are close to each other and they're all sitting far apart and i can't i'm not even like a physical touch kind of guy but you know like it just feels weird to like nod to someone when they're grieving it's like oh yeah. hello i'm sorry for your loss it feels weird and then with the face mask too i just imagined if i could show like seminarian anthony this is what your third year of ministry will look like. I'd be like, what happened to the world? I know. (laughs) I catch myself in moments where I'm like, oh, this is normal. Or or we made this little doohickey to put on our veil so that our masks can like button on our veil. Because it's hard to put on a mask (laughs) with a veil. And I was like, I was worried that I was going to, you know, at the moment of communion, my veil was going to fall off or something. So <laughs> so I was like excited about this little doohickey that we made. And <laughs> I was like going to post so on, you... online about it. I was like, that's weird. So, like, this is so weird. Is it like a priest? Is it like a priest that if you if your veil falls off or your collar falls off as a priest, you cease being a religious or a priest forever? I think that the thing that I most want to prevent <laughs> in that situation is other people's shock. Like right. <laughs> there yeah. have been times yeah. exactly. where <laughs> someone asks me, like, do you have short hair or long hair? And I just reach in and I show them my braid and I'm like, I have long hair. And they're like, <gasps> like what did you just do? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so people are just very shocked at the sight of a yes. veilless nun yes. if she just had a veil on. Yeah, yeah, I know. So what was it like to receive the Eucharist after a couple months? It was beautiful. It was, you know, mm. Aside from all that strangeness, I just, I'm really thankful to Jesus for, honestly, for that time of fast, because it made me appreciate receiving the Eucharist more, mm-hmm. and and every every time I go to Mass, I can still, I can already feel myself becoming complacent again, because that's so easy, but every time I feel that, I'm just like, Jesus, help me to appreciate this. You know, and when I'm drifting off, I just keep being like, you know, you could lose this again. This is huge. And so I keep trying to bring myself back to the miracle of the mass. You know, it's really a miracle that we can go receive I have more questions. every single day. So when you, when you sisters, do you all go to the same place at the same time? So do you all, or are you free to, to parish uh, shop when you go to mass? Um, we, we almost always go together. 
And we have something called a free Sunday every month where we can go to, to our own, wherever we are, whatever is our preference. But right now it's a little bit different because we have a 91 year old here and people with underlying issues. So we are kind of separated, but. Mm, makes yeah. sense. But under normal circumstances, do you go to the same place or do you go to different places each day? Uh, we have a schedule. So it, it varies between the chapel mass in our convent and the two parishes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then on Sunday, we And do you suspect together. that the celebrating priest gets more nervous when he sees all of you come in for mass? Do you think he changes his homily on the fly to try to make it holier? Or do you think he just goes with the flow? I think the ones in our neighborhood are pretty used to it. But um, mm -hmm. when priests do, you know, in Boston, at our mother house, there's like 70 nuns. And when priests mm -hmm. say mass for us for the first time, you can almost always sense this extreme nervousness. And, <laughs> and awesome. usually they will just talk about Because we're being judged. Too. We're being judged. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wow, I would never think that at all. You haven't said Master Sisters, have you? Uh, sisters you are. <laughs> it, it will. Your homily will be discussed at the breakfast table, and if you are there, it, you'll hear about it. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. I've done a couple times. I've said masses and done conferences for the missionaries of charity, and uh, those are the most nerve-wracking days of my priesthood because you're just like, hey, they're holier than me. And B, uh, I know that they're literally going to listen to every word and they're going to discuss it and they're going to actually like take it in. You know, they're not just going to turn their brain off at mass or mm -hmm. at the talk. They're actually going to do their best to take it in. And it's like, it's mm -hmm. scary. And we meditate <laughs> on the gospel for a half an hour in the morning before we go to mass. So, oh, so you are ready. You are ready for the gospel. We can always tell if the priest hasn't. <laughs> That's amazing. So I, I uh, a few times, uh, the uh, uh, TOR sisters uh, in Steubenville aren't too far away from us. So they a lot of times they, they send emails out to the Diocese of Pittsburgh to get priests. And early on, I was a little bit closer to them. Now I'm super far away from them. And so I, I said mass at their place a few times, and I wasn't nervous at all because I know the other names on that list. I'm like, yeah, I'm at least <laughs> as good as these guys. Yeah, they'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So um, maybe if you heard some of the the conversation afterwards, you would get a little bit more more nervous. They were very nice. They gave me breakfast. They didn't say anything about the homely. They were <laughs> they go. were saving that for later apparently, which is a mercy. I would say, as my father has said before, if you're going to talk about me, at least do the courtesy of talking behind my back, so I never have to know about <laughs> it. Right? So, sister, when it, when a priest comes, do you guys feed him? Yeah, they're invited to breakfast. They don't always come, but yeah. Okay. Do you give them tons of food? Um, they can serve themselves. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. That's, okay. So, yes. Is this they are a little... adults, Father Harrison. They can that, decide so, how much food they That's kind of related to what we're going to talk about. <laughs> yes, it will be. Ah, yes, nice. yes. Well, it's funny because it's like whenever, I, whenever I've been with the MCs, like there's a couple times where I just said mass a day in like Vancouver or whatever for them. And then they bring out like three breakfasts worth of food that I can't possibly eat. Like I've yeah. learned that I've learned the habit of saying, sister, this is all I want for lunch or sister, this is all I want for dinner. Because mm -hmm. if you give me more, I will not eat it. And then it'll go to, well, actually with the MCs, they'll eat it themselves. But you know, it's just like, I don't want it to go to waste. You know, it's like they over prepare. I'm just like, you know, I'm going to get fat because of you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, just quickly before we move on to our topic, I, I just want to give a little shout out, um, on Sunday, um, I was invited to a Zoom rosary with some Aggie Catholics from Texas A&M. Uh, 
so Tim yeah. and Ross kind of reached out to the podcast and they said, hey, we, we get together every night for the rosary. We do online adoration and, and pray together and then hang out afterwards. And it was a total delight. It was awesome. I, I love university students or co- sorry, college students for the Americans. Um, but there's because there's just such a raw, like you forget about the raw intensity of being 20 early 20 something in your faith <laughs> and it's just awesome and like it was a very prayerful time and it, we hung out for a couple hours and it was great and i just want to give them a little shout out because i know a lot of them listen to the podcast there's there's actually quite a fan base for the podcast at texas a&m father anthony well that's good well so they've got to get catholic content somewhere exactly exactly texas a&m like <laughs> they're a pretty amazing university our sisters i've been there a couple times and our sisters used to have our vocational events there and really yeah they, they have packed yeah it's like they get vocations every year to the diocese from there it's mm-hmm. like they have hundreds like and they have like a monthly talk and the church fits 800 people and it's always packed yeah it's crazy so yeah. it was a really great time and it was just so shout out to all the Aggie catholics who listen to the podcast father anthony how are you doing i'm doing okay uh i am i am a busy person today i have various meetings uh-huh. where working on uh we're actually hiring for a job position right now at my parish so i'm in charge of that oh, fun. and so i'm sending emails and calling references and, and and scheduling zoom meetings and ah but to be honest it's actually good to have like a list of things to do because there have been so many days during this uh, uh quote-unquote quarantine where i don't have a lot to do and that is not healthy for me so this is actually kind of kind of good good awesome yeah well we're gonna do things a little different today i know i yeah. i know Everyone loves the Summa, but we want to have a real opportunity to have a, a good in-depth conversation with Sister Teresa. So we're just going to go, what did we call it last time? I forget it now. I know, I know uh, Nick has a bumper for this. Yeah. Awesome. I just forget what we called the, I just forget what we called the section. So anyways, we're going to go into, um, into the next segment. We're going to have a conversation <laughs> with, Sister. with Sister Teresa. <laughs> and now it's time to... With Sister Teresa Lapia, yay! All right. This what, what what just happened there is the most controversial part of this podcast. Just so we're all aware, right? Yes. So this is the first time we're not doing the Suma, and there are people that are going to be just disappointed and crushed, and other people who are just so happy because we have a lot of loyal fans who hate that bumper. Yeah. So whether you love it or hate it, this is the one opportunity you get to to feel the feelings you're feeling. Exactly. And that that's what it is, you know. <laughs> So thanks again, sister, for coming on on the podcast. So uh, what was prompted this? So just so people like uh, Sister Teresa and I were having a conversation the other day, and I just thought, man, this would make great podcast topic. Great content. This is good content. Everything is content. Content is king. <laughs> and I think it's also important. You know, we need to give. You guys have to listen to us clerics a lot, and it's important to give religious sisters a space to speak as well, and because they have a lot of wisdom. They are much more prayerful than we are, and uh, they have a lot to say about the church and stuff like that. And so, um, maybe I don't know, sister. Do you want to kind of talk about however you feel like it about where our kind of conversation went off and like how it can kind of lead to our discussion here? Sure. Yeah. Um, 
everybody. Putting you on the spot. So you, you can do it gently or nicely, or I can just give my interpretation of the thing okay. and just immediately jump into it. Okay. You okay? It. Yeah. Okay. So apparently, there are all these priests posting workout videos, and they're not wearing sleeves. What the heck is with this? I didn't know this was even a thing. So we got to talk about it because this brings up so many things. Exactly. You scandalized sister and we're going to yell at you this entire podcast. No, no, it's more complicated than that. We want to talk. That's the gist of it. We want to talk about essentially, so our, our our theme today, just so people have a sense, is we want to talk about in an honest and, and proper way about, about chastity, especially in the realm of priesthood and religious life, but also authentic complementarity of the sexes. Um, because we think these are really important topics that tend to get avoided a lot. So yeah, that's kind of the framework of where, where this is going. Yeah, and it kind of came out of, I, I'm i on Instagram, and for those of you who aren't on Instagram, um, I follow a lot of priests on Instagram, and a lot of them post gym selfies or gym videos or whatever. And I found myself looking at one priest, and he had multiple pictures, and I was scrolling through it, and then I was just like, I just got this icky feeling like what am I doing you know and I just (laughs) (laughs) and then I thought and why is he posting this and um I I, so I texted father Harrison and I was like is this some dude thing I'm not getting like this just feels weird but like what's going on here and I was and I I would I just wanted to hear a conversation between you guys because I think this podcast is really at its best when you guys are talking about the priesthood and your experience mm. of it and the as- different mm. aspects of it. But, but then, you know, it, it, our conversation evolved a little bit into, you know, priests, um, priests and religious sisters in, in relationship and in friendship can really help one another, not only to live chastity, but to live our vocation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Go ahead. I can see yeah, yeah. So I, I think this is this can be a tough thing uh, to talk about because there's different uh, kind of cultural forces and even within the church kind of at, at, at play here uh, because uh, and you can see this on an online aspect whenever conversations about modesty come up online and they're always argued in bad faith and they're they're a whole big mess and there's uh, there's also a problem there's um, because of scandals like scandals in seminary and scandals in different convents. Uh, It's difficult to talk about, uh, and also just a misunderstanding of what certain words mean in the culture of like sexuality and gender and all this stuff, it gets very confused. So it can be difficult to talk about this sort of stuff in an honest and open way because you're afraid that people are gonna hear things differently Mm because you're understanding the words differently Mm -hmm. in that too, right? And also like, okay, what's normal and healthy and human? And then what's what's inappropriate? Like these things, they're difficult things to talk about. So mm-hmm. we're gonna try. And <laughs> please don't cancel our podcast yeah. because of it. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not always black and white. And I don't. And I think. And I think sister would agree. Like for most of these people, when they're posting stuff like this, often it's not out of maliciousness or ill no. intent or no. anything like that. Yeah. Like often we do things unreflectively, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not mm-hmm. a bad thing. It's just like, oh yeah, you know, everyone else is posting Jim selfies. I'm gonna do it too. And it's mm-hmm. just we don't go any deeper. And like I'll say, like I, the reason I wanted to bring sister on with this too is because, like, you know, when she said this to me, I thought, oh yeah, I just I would have never seen it that way. But she's right mm-hmm. <laughs> too. Mm-hmm. Like, like I was like, huh? Because like if I see a dude posting pics working out, I'm like, okay, it's just a dude working out. Like whatever. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't be fun for me anyways. Like okay, fine, scroll on. 
but I that's the male that's the male experience, right? But also, okay, so people might not do these things with with ill intent, and I yeah. completely agree with that. But the human heart is very tricky. Yes, a lot absolutely. of times we do things because of certain promptings in our hearts that we can kind of like half feel are there. Right. Mm-hmm. So like maybe you're like, oh, just this is something people do. They post gym selfies. And maybe there's a part of your heart that's like, I would really like to be validated by how I look mm-hmm. or like yeah. by how much weight I lifted. Yeah. And that's actually why I'm posting it. But I've I've consciously constructed this thing because the culture allows me to. Like that's a tricky mm-hmm. thing as well. Um, I think on we're all on some level sometimes seeking validation in our online activity. And so that's all that like gym selfies or whatever modesty that's like obviously a matter of chastity more obviously but like we could do it much more subtly in terms of the things that we decide to post and um yeah i I think we always have to be examining our motivations and they're always going to be mixed that's the the messy part Mm -hmm. of it they're all they're not always going to be pure um Mm -hmm. and and that was something i kind of had to come to terms with is i'm not like i can't just stop totally stop my online activity until I have pure motivations because they're never going to be totally pure. But I have to trust that God is going to make them more, more and more pure. And, and when I post something that I regret later on, I can either delete it or I can just like, what was that? What was going on in my heart Mm -hmm. when I did that, when I had that interaction with that person or when I posted that, that thing that's related to chastity. Yeah. Break that open a bit more. Because I think, I think especially for religious and priests, we're giving up. We're giving up something big. You know, we're we're giving up a lifelong mm. partnership and uh, life with someone who we love and and who like we could develop this um, deep deepening relationship with. So that's a very natural thing that we're giving up. That's difficult to give up. And mm-hmm. I, I think we always have to be aware of giving that up creates this space in our life that is meant to be inserted. Like we're supposed to, we're called to use that space to love others and to be live in service to God's people Mm -hmm. um, and to one another. But very easily we start to fill that space with other things. And some things could be like more obviously related to chastity but others aren't, you know, like just too much TV or different addictions that we get into or, um, you know, or emotional relationships with people that are just a little bit um, not totally appropriate. And it's, it's really, it's tricky because I think, I think we always have to be asking ourselves, why, why am I doing this and what's going on here? Whereas it's, it's, I, I, I think, um, you know, for, for married people and lay people, I definitely think they have to be doing that. But I think our state of life requires it, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, where do you want to take this? Um, well, yeah, I maybe got... we can concretize it with the question sister asked. Is this just a dude thing? <laughs> with with yeah, the posting, maybe we can. Please, maybe... I really am yes. curious. <laughs> I'll I, I'm not. I would never even be tempted to post a gym selfie because. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hate so, <laughs> so, um, uh, so back when you were allowed to do these things, I would go uh, exercise and lift weights, and uh, uh, there is a desire. For, okay, a few things. There's a desire to 
talk about your interests and your hobbies. And especially with something like weightlifting or exercising, there's a lot you can talk about. There's techniques and strategies and what are you eating? And and also like it's it's fun to share in successes. Um, there's something that just, I think it's a normal thing. Like I want to improve myself. I've seen improvement. This makes me feel good. I want to share it. I think on a certain level, that's like uh, normal in the same sort of way that uh, at times maybe you want to tell a friend like, hey, I actually prayed my holy hour every day for the last month and it's wonderful. I want to share this with someone. Um, I mean, they're different things, but there's there's something related there. Uh, but for me, I was aware that I, I'm not going to post these sort of things online for everyone to see. This is even when I had my, uh, my big old uh, Twitter account because I was aware of a few things within me that posting it for an audience that I don't know would be just self-serving for me. Like, I know that about me. It just would be. Uh, but also, the whole, I mean, there's a, there's a, a modesty thing there uh, because there can be this temptation. And I think this happens among married people as well. It's like, you would never want to divorce your, your wife. And like for priests, like, I would never want to not be celibate. But maybe sometimes this, this thought creeps up where like, you know, if I want to get married, I could, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I could. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, would, you know, I would like people to think that, like, oh, he could, he could, mm-hmm. uh, and like, wait a second, where's that coming from? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's like a bit of an emotional. Um, uh, it's almost like you're emotionally cheating on your spouse in some sort of way. It's mm-hmm. like, why is that a thing that matters to you? Why is that a value? Uh, so, also, I think for, from a male perspective, a lot of times, guys uh, don't get like just normal, healthy compliments on how they look. Because there's a fear, like, is this going to be taken in a homosexual way? Um, and there's, I mean, there's a lot we could say just about that. Uh, but I think it's good to have, like, a healthy group of guys saying, hey, you're looking better. Like, you're really working hard, and that's good. Like, oh, hey, you lifted, like, a heavier weight, great. Or, oh, man, you had a bad day, but, you know, get back at it. Uh, and so I had a, you know, a small group of, like, guys who we would, you know, share these things together and treat it in that way. Mm-hmm. Um so that's my perspective on sort of thing. So the idea of posting it, uh, and this is not to put any one guy on blast. We're talking no. about this as an as an, a wider issue. Um, so if you're hearing this and you are this guy and you feel really guilty, maybe that's between you and Jesus and not about us. I don't know. I don't know what that's going on there. See, um, yeah, because okay, like this brings up, a, I think, a great question for me, and, and this is part of our conversation this week was, how would people feel if they saw a religious sister posting? weightlifting selfies and stuff like that right like it'd be i think people would be that, like what's going yeah. on here that was yeah and that it, was something yeah. that i think uh women religious are held accountable for for our mm-hmm. com- you know, compliance with the vows in in a much mm-hmm. different way than men are including men religious mm-hmm. but also priests because i did i right. did imagine that scenario i mean i work out all the time I would never post a picture of myself working out. I mean, I, can you imagine yeah. what people would say? Like, first right. of all, people mm-hmm. and the, men and the would creepy DMs you'd creepy, get on. Creepy, yeah, creepy stuff. <laughs> and then, and then, yeah, just just the the smackdown I would get from people. Like, they would be like, right. "What are you doing?" But men right. don't get that. They, no, they, they don't. don't get the same thing so... at all. Oh my gosh! Yeah, this is... And this is this is a thing that comes up a lot of time uh, in the online discourse. Like, sister, is that fair? It's it's a double standard. I mean, let's be real. It is. It is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But I think I agree. I actually think. You see, I think part of it is, 
But wait, there's okay. a follow-up question to that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So does that mean that sister is allowed to post selfies no. uh, wearing a tank top? It's actually... Or does that mean that guys shouldn't? Like, well, this is where right? I'm going. Like, this is where right. I'm going. This is where I'm going with okay. this, right? Yeah. <laughs> My question starts to become then... This is where I think religious can be a purifying force for the diocesan priesthood. And maybe actually I, we could even go further and just say the priesthood in general. Um, I don't think we have lived, we, we make the promise of celibacy, but we haven't lived the spirit of celibacy. And by this, I mean that I think too often as priests, we've allowed it to become a kind of religious bachelorhood, which is something you don't see in female religious life. You know, um, I like, you know, we don't have, like, Anthony, you and I don't have to ask permission to do a lot of stuff. I do what I want. Sister, you have to ask permission a lot, don't you? A lot, yeah. Right? Yeah, a lot, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and then I get it. Multiple people. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 just this very layered things. I mean, part of it is, I mean, there is a difference, right? Like that, like for example, diocesan priest is seen as a cooperator with the bishop, and so we probably wouldn't have to make as many permission. We don't have to ask for as many permissions for different things. They're usually just big different things. But you got, you know, you guys live a common way of life, and I think, I think, like I actually wonder if we would treat our celibacy different if we actually lived in community as priests more. Where you lived a common life together, and you were, your your life was bound to another, and thus, I think the problem is we just see ourselves as bound to ourselves. And I don't. I, I mean, I'm not. Again, this is just generic, but I, I I think religious, especially religious sisters, as a witness and as a sign, mm -hmm. can actually help purify how we approach celibacy, so that. It comes to, like, I'll yeah, give you an example. I bet you anything, I bet you anything, if a, I, I say this in a, like, I don't, I, I, I say this actually positively. I think, like, if a FSSP priest were to post workout selfies, his, his parish would put him on blast. Mm -hmm. Because of how, so there, there's something perhaps, I don't know. I think how yeah, the priesthood is seen to the... I'm also not yeah, go ahead. advocating like putting people on blast because I think sometimes Ooh. that whole mm -hmm. like holding sisters accountable for things and being like, what are you doing here? Like, it's one thing to say, I'm curious about this. What What's going on here to understand and to... Yeah, mm -hmm. but very often we can kind of get the, these patronizing kind of paternal, you shouldn't be doing that, sister. Which, mm -hmm. uh, which priests get that too, but I think, I think we... We probably get it more often, but I do agree with you that um, that female, especially female religious life, can um, can be a challenge not only to the world but to um, male religious and and priests because I know and I think one way that that challenge is most effective is when it happens in friendship, and I know I know that I've I have some male religious priests who are friends and. Um, they, when they come to visit us, almost always they comment on our poverty, they, and they and they say things like, 
women religious just live poverty better than male religious and it, mm-hmm. it's com- it's common knowledge wow you ladies are really poor <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> but it, it's actually in an ad- admiring way like you you all live mm-hmm. it you know you all mm-hmm. live it and even in terms of our um our monthly allowance when when you compare our monthly allowance I've asked friends, male Franciscans, how much they make a month, and I want to fall out of my chair. I'm just like, what? Mm -hmm, (laughs) I make $20 a month. $20 a month, -hmm. and that's like for anything extra. That's, you know, and and Mm -hmm. some of these, some, there's this huge disparity. But I think the problem is in a lot of, a lot of ways that disparity is just accepted as, as this is just how it is. It doesn't, Mm -hmm. it doesn't, Mm -hmm. we don't allow it to challenge because challenge this disparity because I, th- I think that's an invitation for 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 everyone the religious vows are an invitation for everyone to start to live them more and i'm not saying that we live them perfectly at all we do not <laughs> right but, right yeah but are we missing a, a, the point here this is me being being provocative um like isn't this also a little bit prudish and and like puritanical and like should we really be making a big fuss out of this? In our different cultures, they are comfortable with different levels of 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 modesty and what that means. I, like, what's the big deal? Are we back to gym selfies, just specifically, or? Ye- well, yeah, because I feel like we need to, <laughs> or, just, or just anything, you know. For example, for example, you know, I saw there was uh, an image. And it was a, a priest doing some sort of like crawfish boil, and he was wearing a tank top. And it's like, well, of course, he's in Louisiana, and it's a billion degrees, and God didn't want people to live there ever, but they decided to live there anyway. Right. And he's doing this like manual labor, so right. what's the big deal? But if you saw a sister doing the same thing, <laughs> like you would be freaked out about it. Like, okay, so what's healthy and what's not here? Like, yeah, oh, so we can, is this we can... okay? Is I, well, I'm going to push that question a bit further. Yeah, please. Is this an issue between male and female religious, or is this a, an issue between how men and women are seen? Yeah, I think it's the second one. Because I think, um, I think, I hate this. I mean, okay. I mean, I know men and women can be objectified, but it seems that women tend to be objectified a lot more than men. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's not right. <laughs> it's not okay. But then it puts women under a greater scrutiny than men are. Yeah. So this is something that like it's it's uh, you get some pushback on this saying that uh, and, and and things that are right about this, like it's as far as um, the, the modesty conversation goes that, yes, um, nobody makes you sin. Uh, it's. A sin is the act of the will. No one can make you do that. Uh, so it's very important to say that. And because of this difference between men and women, which is not which is not absolute for every single man and every single woman. Uh, some women are more visually. Um, I'm trying to say this without being weird. <laughs> stimulated than, than others, you know. This is like we. There is a, like different kinds of attraction within each person. Within you know, some of that's very very true, right? But broadly speaking, I think it's accurate to say uh, that uh, men are going to be stimulated more visually in in general. And so, uh, since we're talking about guys in tank tops. I, about like women in yoga pants and this was a whole big thing that blew up on twitter again which blows my mind like 
I feel like it's very simple. Men have no excuse to be creepy. You're not allowed to be creepy. Nope. Don't be creepy. Nope. But also to pretend that wearing like yoga pants and a t-shirt to mass is in any way acceptable or modest blows my mind. Like, is that the hill you want to die on? Like, come on. What do you have? Uh, can, so, can you speak to that, sister? Because, yeah. <clears throat> right. Like, that's my perspective as a dude who's a priest. Like, I don't know what sister what. Uh, I think there are huge double standards in the modesty discussion, and I think a mm. lot of um, a lot of excuses for for ways that men articulate their issues, their very valid issues, um, but in inappropriate ways, are kind of boiled down to well, you just don't understand the male experience. Like you just don't understand how hard this is for me. And I, th I think women very often can say, well, actually, we do understand what it's like to be attracted to someone visually. That's not just a male <laughs> <laughs> characteristic. Let's be yeah. real. And um, but also, I <laughs> you're not going to be able to control how women dress. And a lot of times mm -hmm. the way that men express this is What's going to solve my problem here is if you would just stop wearing those yoga pants to mass, this would this would solve my issue and I could pay attention at mass. Well, let's face it, you're not you're not helping that girl choose what she's going to wear. You're not at her closet being like, ah, you're not going to wear that." You know, like there's no way right. that you can do that. So I I I think that the the way that men express themselves about it would be much more effective if they could be more vulnerable, which can be very difficult for men sometimes. But to just be real about how it impacts them, like, and to not be like, therefore, women should wear such and such, and here are the guidelines. It's like, excuse me, mm -hmm. no. <laughs> You're not giving me guidelines for how I'm right. gonna dress. So I, I think the whole dynamic of the conversation needs to change. And, and so, that's so where the that problem like? is. And, and a lot of what, times... What does that look like? Um, well, first of all, just let me say, I think the dynamic of it is very fallen. It's very domination. Men are trying to dominate women. They're trying to be like, you you need to dress like this, and I'll give you a diagram of what that looks like. Um, and, and here's a list of things you can't wear. And, Wait, we and can make women charts? naturally rebel so, to stop. that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. charts and yeah. diagrams. Yeah. Yeah. But I've seen those on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, shared by men. Oh, there actually are charts and diagrams, <laughs> exactly. which, is so, which is weird. <laughs> um, that's the fallen conversation. That's a very fallen mm -hmm. conversation. I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think it, it starts with men sharing more vulnerably, I, I think. And, um, and I think it also starts with men recognizing how their uh the way that they're articulating that conversation can be very hurtful to women and mm -hmm. really enters into a territory that they don't always understand that they're entering into but kind of um bl blaming women for the way that men men think sexually about them if they're wearing certain things whereas you all were talking about well i i would just wouldn't think twice about the gym shelf selfies well a lot of these women don't think right, twice exactly. about what they're wearing they're not yeah. like i'm gonna wear this because yeah. and yeah and and there's like there's actually a lot of like i've 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 listened to a minute about this a little bit and there's actually they'll tell you stuff like this is the only thing that's fitting this week and stuff like this. Like, and it's like, you don't like, 
uh, men are very square individuals, so <laughs> or rectangular individuals. So <laughs> we don't have to. We just don't worry about this stuff, right? It's like you throw. Mm-hmm. Like, and I so like hearing them talk to me about like. You simply untuck the shirt and you're good to exactly. go. Exactly. That's the deal. I exactly. don't understand. Exactly. So the they've shared with me like there's actually that men don't understand the difficulty of just clothes wearing for women in general is. Right. And and it's true we don't. And so like I, hearing that has helped me to well just not engage with that discourse so much because I really don't know all the factors that women go through in terms of clothing choices and there's a lot of them out there and like sometimes it's like there's really not a ton of stuff available for them with their particular size or whatever it's like so this might be the only thing that they can get right now or whatever it's like so there's all sorts of things going on that guys can never really kind of get in that regard and i so it's been helpful listening to women in that regard yeah i I think that's what really needs to happen more than anything is mutual listening because I, I think for women also what's associated with that conversation is a, a lot of that, a lot of conversations about around rape uh, are, are connected with what the woman was wearing, like she was asking for it or, and, and a lot of times the way that men can talk about modesty is like, well, I'm thinking about you this way, but it's your fault. And, and it's like, mm-hmm. mm, you know, there's some interior work you need to do there too. So it's, it goes both ways. Yeah, and I, I think we have to understand the importance of that interior work too, and just you know, admit how much uh, you know a pornographic culture has yeah. has warped people's uh, minds and souls. And it's not fair to hold uh, every woman or every person you're attracted to to um, uh, the fact that it's difficult. So we we want to be sensitive to people who have um difficulties or handicaps but at the same time it's unfair to hold people to the fact that you're addicted to pornography and like a lot of things that would not you know affect a healthy more integrated individual are going to affect you and it's impossible to hold people to those kind of standards when you are so uh warped by the culture and it's you know and you're a victim because you were warped by the culture. A lot of times it wasn't your fault you got into this, you know, as well. So it's, it's what you said about that kind of vulnerability, I think is really, really uh, important. The fact that we're all super wounded and we're all like, we all have these sort of problems. And, uh, and yeah, we all want there to be a quick fix or it's, it's a weird, I think maybe it is a masculine thing where it's like, if I can say this is somebody else's fault and here's why, I can have a kind of control over the situation. When in reality, I have no control over how I see people. And I'm so broken and so helpless and so addicted to this thing where I have no power. Mm-hmm. This gives me the semblance of power. And that's that desire from in a fallen heart where you, how you want to control it. So at least I can control the conversation. At least I can sound kind of manly or my warped version of manliness in this instead of saying, we're not saying nothing. And deleting, because if, if you are, if you are struggling with with uh, pornography addiction, like you should delete most of your social media, uh, and like you have to like and start talking to someone, and start talking to professional, and taking things here, and not going on Reddit to voice your problems. Like that's not going to be healthy for you. Uh, so I think. So I'm sorry. It seems like you guys want to go into this like well, kind of very lofty discussion about religious life. I was like, no, well, let's talk about the yoga pants I, I, and the tank okay. tops. For I'm gonna a be while. totally male here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try and take control back to where I want to go with it. So okay, <laughs> but thank you, yes, thank you. Yes. 
I think it's important. No, no, I, I agree. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I agree. So, yeah. but I want. So, sister, can you talk about how how do religious experience their relationship with priests? Like, can like, is there generational differences and stuff like that? Yeah, I definitely think. Um, you know, Edith Stein talks about how the pure partnership of between Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and then fallen. Um, complementarity and then redeemed complementarity. So I think very often we experience fallen complementarity in, in many ways, but we also experience redeemed complementarity. And I think um, it's something that is different from culture to culture for sure. You know, mm-hmm. we're an international congregation, so the experience of our sisters, say, in Mexico and Africa are different than our experience of our sisters in Europe and the United States. But in in general, um, there is definitely issues of sexism, um, mm-hmm. definitely issues of of priests not, not seeing women religious as partners in the gospel, but as subordinated to them. And um, I, I think that's one of the hugest issues. And, and one of the things that if, if remedied in, 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 in individual relationships, I think that can happen, but also more broadly would really help the church. Is there a generational difference? Like, I mean, obviously we're speaking broadly here, but like, do you experience differences from older priests and younger priests? Yeah, I'd say, you know, and I'm speaking very generally because there are a lot of exceptions, but um, older priests can tend to um, kind of kind of think of us as their helpers. And um, I mean, every women's congregation has had requests to like cook for priests or clean for priests or um, different things like that. Don't worry, we get the lay people to do that for us now. It's, oh, yeah. uh, we don't need sisters anymore. <laughs> you, yeah. I mean, it's a little bit more expensive. We actually have to pay them. Yeah, we don't right. have to pay you so much. Um, <laughs> yikes. That was sarcasm, by no, the way. These, totally. are, these just, I mean, just so people are aware. I know sisters are aware of it. Yeah. Sorry, go the, ahead. There are some serious wounds there for, for women's congregations, and I think sometimes people don't realize that in um, in terms of, you know, especially teaching orders, the teachers were not paid a penny. <laughs> and that was huge, yeah. you know, and, and there, there, are wound, there are stories of just a very difficult situations with pastors where they would just run the show and give absolutely no, um, no room for the women religious to uh, make decisions and express themselves about really big things that impacted their students. And so there's a lot there. There's a lot there. Um, and I think, I think that actually there's a lot there in terms of any relationship between men and women. There's a lot there. There's a lot of past and there's a lot of wounds in families, um, in world history and in the church. And I think a big part of, um, addressing the women's ordination question would be to address some of the things that are there, that are there that we can address that I, that I think sometimes we want to act like everything's fine so women don't need to be ordained because there's no sexism in the church like 
Right, right. Those are two different things. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Those are two different, two different issues that we've combined into one issue. It's like, wait a second, time out. <laughs> I, I, and I think. And like, so, sister, what if that. someone were to say? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, uh, just to uh, because you you mentioned uh, earlier. Uh, that you know, uh, religious sisters in a special way live out poverty uh, in an exemplary way, and then you were like, "Oh, but sisters are really wounded." The fact that they weren't paid as being teachers—it's not about like a money thing, right? That's not the issue you're talking about. No, no, I think, I, I think the, or, a, the money just doesn't mean just money. Yeah, it's it's really it translates into power dynamics, you, you know. Yeah, yeah, and and also treating women—you know—we're we're here to serve, but we're not your servants. You know, you're not, you're not, not a, like yeah, your housemaid. Welcome at to walk over. Right. Not servile. Right. Servile. That's probably yeah. the better way to yeah. say it. So, um, and I, I think, I think women religious, a lot of us are very good at asserting ourselves in those situations. And, but, but some aren't. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think there just needs to be some awareness on the part of priests especially younger priests, because I don't think they realize that that history is there, whereas younger women religious will, will know about it. Um, right. And so, yeah, and to answer your question with, with younger priests, I think that there's a lot of, um, like, a lot of openness to redeemed relationship, but in some cases, uh, I, I think there is a lack of integration and fear. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas in the older generations, there's less fear and sometimes that translates into disrespect, so that's not necessarily good. But then with younger generations, it's um, like it's, I, I, I've talked to some seminarians that are, or who were recently ordained, and they find it very difficult to talk to me as a woman, mm-hmm. and I find that concerning. Yeah. Like yeah. Like let I, alone I, I, being um... in friendship with. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> they find yeah, it hard just to, to speak yeah. to. A lady person is like, oh no. And whenever I see that, I'm like, oh. That's yeah, that's what my big. This was my big concern in seminary. Is often, you had so many years to work on this, dude. I'm yeah. Sorry. So <laughs> one of but you yeah. Know, part one of the, the blessings... problem is these seminaries are very males. Like there's males everywhere. Yeah. So they yeah. have this time where they they need some women in those seminaries. Yeah. So yeah, I want to speak to that because. Um, you just made producer Riley very, very happy. <laughs> yes. Because she would very much like to help out seminaries and make them more normal. That's yes. So <laughs> important. So important. Well, first was yeah. we had a we had a really great secretary, Barb, who was like a mother to the seminary. And uh and she knew how to she knew how to handle us. She knew to tell us when to grow up and stuff like that. And and just a good nurturing character, which was so important. But um one of my big concerns when I was in seminary was how often guys would be like, because we had we went to Newman College, which was also where lay students went. And sometimes there were women in classes and guys were like, <gasps> there's a woman in the class and she's attractive and I can't handle this. And I'm like, buddy, you, you know, there's going to be women in the parish, right? In fact, they're going to be the majority of the people in your parish when you see them and stuff like this. And I was, I, I'm like, you see, I, I think there's the problem is for younger generations, because of this lack of integration, they don't see attraction is just like a normal human experience. Mm-hmm. You're going to have it. It's right. going to happen. How you deal with it is the question. And like, so I want to like, I'll, I'll share a little something that I think is important because it's not just religious here. I think this is just in general, it's helpful to have good, this is, 
like I think one of the things we're trying to get at here is this complementarity works as best, not just in friendship, but in the larger sense of the community of the church. So like when I was ordained, our bishop insisted on having a lay support committee for your first two years of priesthood. So I had our uh, office manager at the cathedral. I had a layman who's married and the, and the office assistants um, um, married as well. And I had a, con- uh, a woman, a consecrated lay person from Madonna House. Um, so consecrated virgin. And you'd um, meet with them? I'd meet with them every month to talk That's about... a great idea. It, it was really... And the rector would be would come in once in a while to my boss. So... Um, and it was super helpful. And like, and these are all people I trusted because like this was my parish before I went to seminary. I knew these people and they knew me. Like I worked... I was the office manager's boss before I went to seminary, right? And, and stuff like this. So we... We all knew each other well enough, and I so I trusted them right away. And yet, there were obviously there are times where I'm like working in ministry, and I'm like, wow, I'm, wow, there there's an attraction to that person. Not not in the group, but I mean like just someone I'm working with in ministry. But because I trusted them, I could speak openly and honestly about that. Mm-hmm. And then they would say, oh yeah, that's just totally normal, <laughs> which was helpful for a few reasons. First, you don't feel guilty about that. Mm-hmm. Secondly, you're giving it, you're speaking to it. <laughs> They're yeah. saying this happened. Yeah. And you bring um, it to the light. You bring it to the light. So then yeah. the devil can't use that against you. <laughs> and the third thing was hearing from them saying, yeah, as, as a married person, that's something I've experienced too. It's yeah. like, oh, okay. So this is not just because I'm not married. <laughs> Having that was such a purifying experience for me to, to not be afraid of the emotions or anything like that that happens and not and then you don't confuse it mm-hmm. in your experiences with different things you don't just think oh this means i need to leave the priesthood and marry this person it's like no that's just a normal initial reaction that can often happen you pray about it you bring it to the light you bring it to your spiritual director whatever and they'll and then it's like and then you start to see okay no i can just relate to this person in a normal human fashion according yeah. to my state in life you want to yeah and I thought it was just really helpful. And I think that's where a complementarity, a healthy complementarity is really a good thing. But I want to back up for a yeah. second to like when we, the, the two things that I want to ask a your question. Um, when you, we briefly mentioned the, let's say the seminarian who uh, is like, oh no, there's an attractive woman in the class and freaks out. At that point, like that's okay. Mm-hmm. The important thing is to realize that that is, that is what has happened within mm-hmm. you. And something I saw in seminary is that a lot of the formators that I had, um, when it came to like human sexuality and stuff, they were very integrated, mm-hmm. and you could talk to them about yeah. it in an open, honest, and way. But their problem was they 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 didn't like the Latin Mass. So therefore, these people like this is a weird thing that happens that we 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 link ideologies or issues together that don't need to be linked. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe a seminarian didn't trust the formator because they didn't line up, you know, theologically, and so they never brought that to anybody. And that's a problem. You have to realize yeah. that like not every priest is going to have all the pieces together, but maybe this priest has like the pieces that you need to help put this part of your life back together, mm-hmm. right? Or any any kind of formator. So that's one thing. The second thing is I've seen, yeah, the the guy who's freaked out to talk to a religious sister or a woman or anything like that. But there's something also that I would notice occasionally in seminary and occasionally in the priesthood as well is that there would be a guy who would like be hanging out with the sisters on campus all the time and would talk about the sisters all the time mm-hmm. and would like hang out with the sisters all the time it's like and talk about how wonderful they are and isn't this complimentary great mm-hmm. and isn't it wonderful and oh my goodness I was talking to sister the other day and I'm like I feel like that that might not be okay either right mm-hmm. like 
you can you can sublimate things in in all kinds of ways, in a kind of fear and anger and power way, and then also kind of like, oh, they're all just my very chaste friends, and isn't this wonderful? It's right. like, oh, wait a second, like, are you, do you have any guy friends? Are you talking to dudes too? Like, this is important as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if you've seen that as well, or if, if, if that something that you know, you have to watch out for. I have for sure, um, for sure. And yeah. I think that's something that, that you have to look out for, especially in the beginnings of your vocation, because it's so it's like a tender shoot, you know, you like you just yeah. have to be careful with it. And part of the way mm. I was careful with it is I, I, I just naturally knew I couldn't develop these friendships or relationships with priests. Like it needed some time for my for my vocation yeah. to strengthen and um, yeah, for me to be more sure in, in it and and to mature in my chastity and to live it for a mm-hmm. while, you know, because yeah. I, I think what happens a lot of times is immediately in seminary or when we enter a convent or something, we we um, we find a substitute, you know, we find this opposite sex friend or even a same sex friend who becomes like mm-hmm. our you know, our partner. And, and it's just mm-hmm. too intertwined and codependent. There's something going on there. There's definitely compensation happening, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that's something, especially in the early years of, of discernment that we have to really look out for. At the heart of everything is developing kind of like a lens of the gift, right? That we are a gift to each other as men and women. Like this is, this is, this is how God has constituted things before the fall. The fall obviously has twisted this. We know this, but um, like rede- re- as you were talking about, redeem complementarity is about trying to put the pieces back together. Um, and so, how does um, what does this start to look like between religious and priests? And how can we live our vocations with our vows in a healthy way that complements each other? And that builds each other up. And especially, I would say, like, how, how can religious really help challenge and purify the priesthood? I think if priests and women religious could live more, a more redeemed partnership, I, I think that the... the the way that both the church is viewed by by the outside world, but also just the way that um, male and female relationship is viewed, would be um, almost a, a, almost an evangelization within itself. I think redeemed relationship is just so not of the world <laughs> between me, male and female. Uh, um, so I, I just think that's a challenge for for especially the, the newest generation. And I, and I think that to me, the biggest obstacle to that challenge is fear. And for me, getting over that fear of causing scandal or something going way off um, was, was difficult because we live in such a sexualized culture that it's difficult mm-hmm. to have healthy friendships with one another. But it's also mm-hmm. so vital. It's so vital because just in that whole modesty conversation, like we we men the men in the conversation aren't understanding where the women are coming from, so they have to articulate how they're experiencing this, and the women have to articulate. How, and you can't expect expect each side to understand. It's the same with um, male and female friendships in the priesthood and, and religious life. Opening up our experience is just so enriching. 
Like when you all open up the experience of priesthood, I find that so enriching to my religious life. And when I open up mm. my experience of, the, of my prayer life, my relationship with Jesus, I know that my priest friends find that really enriching. So mm-hmm. it's mutually enriching when we open up, our, when, we, when we don't have the fear that's connected with vulnerability, but also with relationships with people of the opposite sex. When we're able to overcome that fear and open ourselves in, um, in vulnerable ways, not oversharing, but but being vulnerable with one another in terms of our interior life. I think that's mutually enriching, but I also think the outside world will see the healthiness of that and the redeemed mm-hmm. nature of that. Mm-hmm. And I also think as spiritual yeah. mothers and fathers, it will help us to be better spiritual mothers and fathers, just like in a family it's not like the, it would be so weird if the father and mother never talked to each other. They're like, oh, stay away. And that's how we are sometimes. <laughs> yeah. We're like, oh, oh, yeah. can't get yeah. too close. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, yeah. Yeah. we're called to be spiritual mothers and fathers in the church. How can yeah. we do that if we're not interacting and having and, and talking to one another and having friendships? And, and I think I want to put this. Like, I can just share, like, I know getting, one of the poverties of my diocese is we really don't have religious, unfortunately, right? There's a small, very liberal community that's not going to be around much longer. Um, So I don't really have that around in my life. But for me, actually, one of the blessings has been that because of Twitter, I've gotten to know, especially the Pauline sisters, and then literally working with the missionaries of charity for a year. So I know two religious communities super well now. And I'm really grateful for that because the tone and and direction of conversation that religious sisters often have, have opened me up to start to ask more spiritual questions of people, which is not something men tend to do easily. We tend to just shoot the breeze. Uh, again, don't like to be vulnerable, right? So it's helped me to say like, to start sharing more about my prayer life or to ask people about theirs. And because that's something a religious sister does. And it's been a very purifying and opening thing for me because of those friendships. And so like, I'm really grateful for that. And, um, and I also like, I really believe that, you know, it's like, I know it's a little spiritualized in a way, but it, it I kind of see, especially women religious as kind of like concrete Marys in the world. And so they can image to us what the church should look like. And in fact, actually, this is something Balthazar says, by the way. He he argues that religious women kind of embody the heart of the church. So no pressure. Yeah, no yeah. pressure at all. <laughs> <laughs> so we should look at that with like an awe and reverence and to see how can this, because like, I, I, I can share that. I, I recognize, yeah, like, I mean, hey, as diocesans, we don't even make a vow of poverty, right? But seeing how religious live it and seeing its evangelical power constantly puts a question to my heart is of should i live this more and that's a good thing i can't see how that can be a bad thing Mm -hmm. um so it's been a very it's been a very life-giving thing for me um because they've really and and knowing them is to be such people of prayer like yeah (laughs) um you know when you're out traveling and stuff 
it, I don't know why. God, I, I find that priests just tend not to think about that naturally. Like, oh, let's go pray for a bit in the chapel or something like that. But like, I, I remember like actually. When we, wait, 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 wait. Because this is important because wait. this literally happened when we were at Notre exactly. Dame Exactly. That's what, that's, what that's what I'm bringing up. <laughs> and sister was like, I really need to go pray. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't feel like I needed to pray at all. <laughs> exactly. I was, like, I was like, oh, maybe I really should. I, but maybe I was I really grateful for that. <laughs> Yeah. I, that was a huge thing. And I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, I should. Why didn't I think of that? For And now, like, it, because of that moment, that's become some, that's a question I constantly ask myself now. So I'm really grateful for that. And it's not because priests don't pray, right? It's just when you're out and about, it's just not something that, because we, we tend to be very active kind of guys. And so we just tend not to think of that right away. So it's, you know, women religious have helped me to realize to slow down, shut up and contemplate. And to ask that question. And so I'm really grateful for those things. And I think that's that's a healthy purifying force of religious life on the priesthood. Yeah. And I, so sister, as yeah, go oh, ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, like, we're kind of wrapping up. So if, if, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about or uh, say or um, tell Father Harrison he's wrong about something just because that would make me feel that better? That would be fun. But... Right? <laughs> To think Too bad he's it. right about a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. It makes it more difficult. Well, it's hard because I literally said, you know, I in our text conversation, I'm just like kept on saying, "You're right." Mm. <laughs> mm. It's rough. I think I, I don't know. I was prepared for this to come out, but it didn't really. But in terms of complementarity, I think it's important to think of um, Sister Prudence Allen writes a lot of really good stuff about complementarity, and she talks about integral complementarity. Where each person is is a, is the fullness of his or herself. There's no like, uh, it's not like a puzzle piece where like I'm lacking because I I'm not mm-hmm. in relationship with this male person. But I I'm I think that's really important in terms of mm. um, having having a, a redeemed uh, view of of the male and female relationship because very often when you think of it in terms of a fractional thing where puzzle pieces kind of fitting together it's usually the woman who's considered to be more lacking and they need the man for this or something like that but mm-hmm. um I, I think it's actually where we are the fullness of people individually but coming together something greater comes out of that when we come to get come together and i don't think the church has seen that yet i think there's like mm-hmm. it's seen it in some ways but i think there's a potential for that to be much broader um, if we can work on that relationship between men and women and we can model it as priests and religious. I was going to say, I think if we can start to model it, it can, like we said earlier, it can become kind of like a seedbed for a renewal of that complementarity in the church, which recognizes like, because like, while I may not agree with some of the hardcore feminism that can come out of even some Catholics, which tends to see men as not a gift, but as horrible human beings. But I recognize the hurt that that's coming out of. Mm-hmm. And it's bad. And it needs to be yeah, condemned, like, right? If like pretty much any woman online showed you her DMs, you would be horrified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, like, I, I still, like, I, again, another formative thing that Notre Dame That was a universal just, you. It wasn't yeah. like a, but, like, telling you. Yeah, it's just like, yo, no, it's just, it's, 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 it's crazy what women have to put up with online. Like, I can't imagine. I can't imagine what it's like. And um, where was I going with all this? But I think it's like we, this giftedness of each other that if men and women, religious and priests and religious, live this more, we can show people we recognize your hurt 
We recognize where you've been wounded, but this is what's possible, right? They need a sign. They need a vi they need visible signs to show that something is possible. And and this, I think this is the other important thing that we probably ah oh, it's not hanging, but uh, <laughs> that friendship is possible without it being sexualized. Yes, I think that's so important in today's culture. Yeah. Right, and like it's they also, like, it is bad now that when I see an ad of two guys out fishing, the idea is this a homosexual relationship comes to my mind. Mm -hmm. Not, not, not this is like, that's how we are formed in our, in our culture today to think it's weird. And, yeah. and so can we start to live this in a, and I think it can, it is possible. It is. It, I mean, it is possible, but if you can start to live this in a healthy and when I say non-sexualized, I mean like sexualized, obviously in the world right. sense of the term, right? Um, yeah. If we can live this in a non-sexualized way, man, because then people are going to see our joy, our happiness, and the complementarity and the freedom that comes from that friendship and say, oh, this is possible. And even for people who don't know the gospel, they'll say, I want what you have. Mm -hmm. And it can become a real evangelical, like a real evangelical sign. Cool. Well, I think we have to end it there. This was great. This is yeah. a good conversation. Yeah. We Thank you for coming so on, sister. Yeah. Because there's so there's so much more to talk about. We'll, 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 we'll do it again. We'll do it. We'll do it again yeah. someday. And I think yeah. just as like because like you know a lot of stuff we, we we're talking about it from a certain perspective. You know, what does this mean for somebody with with uh, homosexual tendencies? We can talk about any yeah. of that. That's a whole thing to talk yeah, about. Uh, how many how many uh, religious sisters uh, do I need to be friends with to be a good priest? Is it like three or four? Is it too many? Is it like it was like you know? You're trying so, to control uh, again. But yeah, I'll send exactly. you a diagram. So thank you. Yeah, please send a diagram. Awesome. Well, but yeah, but no, I mean, we'll have you on again, and we'll, we'll we'll continue this conversation some more someday, because uh, this is this was really good and very helpful and we're really appreciative of you coming on and, and opening up with us about your religious your experiences as a religious this is stuff I think a lot of people don't know about and I think they'll find it very informative yeah, yeah it'd be great if you guys had a podcast yeah, or something to talk about yeah it'd be really awesome if there was yeah a Pauline yeah. podcast you'd think wow, media, wow, you'd think media nuns would have a podcast you'd you know? think, think you media would nuns think. would have a podcast working on it alright so Sister Teresa where can people find you um, PursuedbyTruth.com Cool. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at FR Harrison. Father Anthony, where can we find you these days? You can always find me in a Zoom meeting. <laughs> <laughs> always, always, always. always. I, I, yeah. Zoom, Zoom, the Zoom. For this, the plan for this bit was for to, to, me thinking of new creative places you could find me that weren't Twitter, but no, no, it's just <laughs> Zoom all the time. God save us all. <laughs> You can find uh, the podcast at ClericalPod on Twitter. You can email us clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Uh, you can download our podcast on pod Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, anywhere you can find a podcast. Please leave a review. Please tell your friends about the podcast. And please tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. And we will see you all next week. God bless. Peace. <laughs>